I want to begin with Proverbs 19, verse 3. It's a, a confronting verse, but, uh, but, but anyway, it's where I'm going to begin today. It, it says this. It says, a person's own folly. A person's own folly leads to their ruin. Yet their heart rages against the Lord. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. We said last week that free cheese is always available in mousetraps. We're touching on temptation. This is part three. We have quoted on both the previous parts the quote from C.S. Lewis, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. Last week we finished with this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Paul writing this to the Corinthian church, he says this, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands... Uh, take heed lest he fall. And then it says, no temptation has overtaken you. In the NIV, I, I like the word it uses there, rather than overtake, it uses the word seized. No temptation has seized you that is not common to man. What you struggle with, someone else struggles with. You, you, you are not alone in the struggle. No temptation has seized you that is not common to man. And then it says, God is faithful. Can I hear an amen on that? God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. In the New King James Version, it says what you are able, really what you are able to handle. It says, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In the New King James Version, it says bear it. In the NIV, it says stand up under it. So what is this way of escape? What is this way of escape that it is speaking of here in Corinthians? Of course, the simplest way to escape temptation is don't bite the bait. Don't eat the cheese. As someone said this, it's not the laying the bait that hurts the fish, it's the taking the bait. 16th century poet and playwright John Dryden said this, better shun the bait than struggle in the snare. Better shun the bait than struggle in the snare. Clergyman Thomas D. Whitalmage said this, he said, our prayer should be, O Lord, help us to hear the serpent's rattle before we feel its fangs. Good place to say amen right there. But the thing is, the snake, depending on what type of snake it is, can be sneaky quiet. I remember 
Some of you would have heard the story when I tried to scare Anita when we lived in India. I, I, we, we lived in this wooded area called the Bible Center, and I, 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 she was coming out of the uh, gate. I got there before her, so I thought I'll hide and give her uh, a, a fright. And so there, there was a wooded area, bush, bit of bush near, near the gate. So uh, uh, like in New Zealand, you wouldn't think twice. Uh, uh, in India, you've got to think not just twice, about four times uh, before. But I, I didn't think. And so I ran, I, I ran into that area, and I, just, just below me, I could hear, and I looked down, and there was a snake going, shh. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I don't know what kind of snake, uh, snake it was. It could be, but India got all kinds of snakes. Let me make it clear. Very dangerous ones. But snakes can be, be sneaky. And I, I just want to say, my brother and my sister, if you, if you don't want the devil to tempt you with his forbidden fruit, then stay out of his orchard. Matthew Henry, the great commentator of the Bible, he said, those that would be kept from harm must keep out of harm's way. <laughs> it's like, this is not rocket science. Those that would be kept from harm must keep out of harm's way. In other words, you don't dodge a bullet by standing in front of the gun. So this is, so this is the simplest way to escape temptation. Don't bite the bait. Don't eat the cheese. One of my favorite quotes, and I don't usually use it with uh, Tim, talking about temptation. I use it when, when talking about sin, but I think it's fitting for today. It's this, never expect to find honey in a jar that God has labeled poison. Don't bite the bait. Don't eat the cheese. And that is the simplest way to escape temptation. But here's, here's the thing. It's simple, but not necessarily easy. Can I hear an amen from the church? It's simple, but it's not necessarily easy. The escape passage in Corinthians speaks of enduring Temptation, Because sometimes when we think about this, it's like, yeah, there's a way of escape. It's like, where's the door? It's like, I'm going through temptation. Like, there's a little door somewhere I can go. Where, where is it? I can get out. But the, the, this passage, this, this escape passage in Corinthians speaks of enduring temptation. I, I mean, well, can't you just make it magically go away? No, we've got to endure. Everybody say Endure. The escape passage in Corinthians speaks of enduring temptation. And to endure something, what does that mean? It means to undergo without giving in. To, it means to persevere without giving up. As scripture calls it, the ability to bear it, to stand up under it. If you remember what Frederick P. Wood said in part, one, temptation is not sin. It is a call to battle. It's a call to endure. It's a call to persevere. In other words, there is a fight, or at least a bit of a fight, involved. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who 
endures temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, if you're here today with other versions of the Bible, it's interesting that the word temptation is used here in this New King James version, but the, in other versions, they use different words instead of temptation. They use the word, some use the word trial, another use the word uh, testing. For instance, the NIV says this, blessed or blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, same passage, because having stood the test, and then it goes on. And in the, in the New Living Translation, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. In the ESV, it says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Steadfast under what? Steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test. And so you look at that and you go, well, which is it? Which is it? Is it temptation or trial or testing? And which is the right one? Which is it? Well, the answer is it's all of the above. What's the difference between temptations, trials, and tests? Because you've got to understand God does test us. God does test. Genesis 22 verse 1, God tested Abraham. God does test. But there's something to understand about the tests of God. I want you to understand that when he, he tests us, he tests us to make us, not to break us. See, the devil tests that we might fail. God tests that we might succeed. Clergyman William Gurnall said this, or put it this way. He, he said, God's wounds cure. Sin's kisses kill. God's wounds cure, sin's kisses kill. When God tests us, they're, 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 his tests are about growth, about trust, about faith, about maturity. Someone said, our great teacher writes many a bright lesson on the blackboard of affliction. The gem cannot be polished without friction, nor man perfected without trials. Fire is the test of gold, adversity of strong men. We can see this in the earlier part of James. If you would take the time to go and read it, it says, this in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers. That's a, that's a tough one right there. <laughs> Oh, lovely, all trials. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, and here's the thing, a lot of us don't know. And now you will. For you know that the testing, everybody say testing. testing. That the testing of your faith, there, there are tests, there, there, there's going to be testing. If you haven't, figured it out. If you became a Christian, you thought life's going to be a breeze? I, I, I guess you know that now, but it's the other service we have to worry about, right? 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces, what? Steadfastness. And let that steadfastness, let that perseverance, let that endurance, let that stand up under have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials, troubles, testings, and temptations. It's telling us in that passage, in the midst of them all, remain steadfast. It's telling us remaining steadfast. What does it do? It develops endurance. It develops perseverance. You know, you know when you go to the gym and you lift weights. Oh, yeah, I have to say you know because I don't know because I haven't gone to the gym for a long time. You two can have a buddy like this if you're not careful. But, but you know my, my sons all the time say, Dad, come to the gym, come to the gym, come to the gym. One day I might, I am regular to the gym. I go once every 10 years. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'll move on. But, 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 uh, but uh, you know, you, you, you know that, that resistance training, there's something about resisting that builds strength. In the midst of all trials, troubles, testing, and temptations, in the midst of them all, remaining steadfast, it develops endurance, perseverance, patience, and that old-fashioned word, long-suffering. And so how do we understand? How do, how do we understand the difference between a God test and a devil's tempt? How do we understand the difference between a, a God test and a devil's tempt? Because, because, because clearly when you're tempted, you're definitely tested. Yeah. When you're tempted, you're definitely tested. It, it is a test. It is a trial. But James says this in James 1 verse 13. It says, let no one say. Here's how we can tell the difference. Let no one say. When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. So there'll be places and times in our life where God tests us. And he's building, he tests us to succeed, to make us, not to break us. But he is not going to do evil. God is not going to tempt you with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person, here it is, but each person is tempted when he is lured. I hadn't seen that before. We talked about the lures. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I want to go back to that passage I began with today. The passage cross-references from this verse here. That's how I found it. It says, A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. I, I met people over the years, not many, thank goodness, who, who, who just get mad at God for stuff to do with their own folly and their own folly, and, and they rage again, well, God. 
Now a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. In the Amplified Version, that same passage says this, the foolishness of a man undermines his way, ruining whatever he undertakes. Then his heart is resentful and rages against the Lord. For being a fool, he blames the Lord instead of himself. Ouch. Let no one say. Let no one say. When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Because God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Theologian and Oxford academic John Owen said, This temptations put nothing into a man but only draw out what was in him before. We shouldn't blame God. God does not tempt, test, or trial with evil. Someone said it takes two to make a successful temptation, and you are one of the two. If you don't want to trade with the devil, stay out of his shops. Said Vance Hardner. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we shall soon yield to that which is about us. P.T. Forsyth, a Scottish theologian, said, Unless there is that which is above us. Sorry, unless there is within us that which is above us, Christ in us, we shall soon yield to that which is about us. What is a way of escape? Don't bite the bait. Don't eat the cheese. Patiently endure, that is, to undergo without giving in, to persevere without giving up. Scripture calls it the ability to bear up or stand up from under. And on this I want to say more, but I'll do so in part four. But let me finish today with what happens when we do fail. When we do give up or give in. When we do fall down and fall flat. I'm not talking today about, again, I'm, I'm really addressing those who are desiring to please God with their lives. There are those that live with like, oh, God's just okay with anything, and I can just ask forgiveness. And, I, and you know, like, like people call it cheap grace. There's nothing cheap about grace. It costs God his son. He was crucified on a cross. It costs heaven. Free for us. But, uh, but as believers, we, we should have a genuine desire to walk in holiness and, and a desire to please God with 
our, our lives. And so I'm speaking to you today, to the believer who says, man, I've tried, but I fail. I try, but I fall. I, can't, I, I desire to grow in the things of God, but, 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 but the, the, the stuff in my life, it's a battle, it's a fight. What, what do you do? What do you do when you fall down or fall flat? I'm talking to, uh, to, to those who genuinely desire to please God with their life. But they've fallen in. They've fallen under. And I want to remind you today, let the scriptures remind you today, 2 Peter 2 verse 9. He said this, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. You know, the context of this passage is, is large. If you read it, it's not, again, it's talking about major deliverance here. It's the context of the passage. God is talking about how he protected and delivered, how he preserved and saved Noah and his family from the flood. The context of the passage is talking about how, how God rescued and delivered Lot from the wicked Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, if he can do that then, he can certainly do it now. And this is why the uh, Apostle Peter tells us the Lord knows. He knows. We might not know, but the Lord knows how to deliver the godly, the devout, those who are seeking to please him uh, out of temptations. He knows how to deliver the godly. And, and again, there'll be people here, and it's just the way we are as human beings. He's going, but I, I'm not godly. That's my problem. I, I, keep, I keep failing. I keep falling. I keep, I keep messing up. I keep mucking up. I'm not godly. And this is where I've got to remind you of who and whose you are. Who and whose you are. You are in Christ. If you're here today and you go, well, I'm just not godly. I keep failing all the time. We all fail all the time. We all muck up. Anyone who says they, they don't is just lying. And that's, that's sin too, right? We all muck up. And, and, and what happens when, when we muck up? We feel guilt and we feel, we, we feel shame and we feel the, 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 those things. But, but again, it's just like I'm just a sinner. Yes, you are a sinner in need of God's great grace and great mercy. It's our sin, it's our, it's our failings that make us aware of our great need for God. Because if I could do it all on myself, if I could do it by myself, I wouldn't need him. But we all fall short. When you say, I'm not godly, or I think it's, it's we, 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 we forget who we are in Christ. You, for, you have forgotten your, that you're not just an old sinner, but you're a new son. Yeah. I mean, think about it. What makes you godly? What makes you godly? What makes you godly? Nothing you can do, nothing I can do. If you're a follower of Christ, we have received God's grace. What is God's grace? It's his unmerited favor. Unmerited means what? It means that we don't deserve it. Yeah. But it's a free gift. 
We can't buy it. We can't earn it. He has justified us. And as we talked about in part one, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You have been exonerated. The charges against you have been cleared. You've been made righteous. He who knew no sin became sin for you. That you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He's paid the price. You've been exonerated. The charges against you have been cleared. We have been adopted into his family. We've been made holy. We've been made perfect in him, complete in him, redeemed in him, delivered in him, set free in him. We're royal priests, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that we might declare his praises, not our praises, because we've got nothing to offer but his praises. He's redeemed me. He's saved me. He's turned my life around. I'm a blood-bought son. I'm seated in heavenly places. We're sons and daughters, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have a divine inheritance. We stand from a position of victory. We're victorious. See, the truth is we, we can't make ourselves holy or godly. He has done it for us. We have to walk ye in it. We have to walk in the truth of that. How do we do that? Well, I don't feel it. No, we don't do it by our feelings. We do it by faith. Faith in the Son of God. Faith in what has been accomplished in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Faith in that which has been accomplished on the cross. And then we, when we understand that, we live in it. We live in it. Because we're in Christ. In Him. We live we move. We have our being. We live our lives in Him. And so we've got to, well, I hope this is helping somebody today. I hope so. It's helping me. So this is why it's so important. You need to get your eyes off yourself. With all your faults and failings, and get your eyes on him who is Christ, the perfect sacrifice. The Lamb of God that takes away. You can't do it. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He had mercy on us. You know, your old stinky life. And it was pretty stinky. Your old stinky life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what my Bible says. My Bible says you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And, and then it says all this is from God, not from you. All this is from God. It was accomplished on the cross. That's your position in Christ. We've talked about it, but some we can talk about it, but you've not got to get it here. You've got to get it here. That's your position in Christ. You're made right with God. You're justified just as if you've never sinned. The great Augustine said this, the grace of God does not find men fit for salvation, but makes them so. 
The grace of God does not find men. None of us are fit for salvation. But the gospel makes them so. I'm going to tell you, lest we are saved by grace, we cannot be saved at all. Do you understand? Man does not secure the grace of God. Rather, the grace of God secures man. You do not secure the grace of God. Rather, the grace of God, thank you, Jesus, secures you. The cross is the cost of your my forgiveness. The debt has been paid. And so to the devout and the godly here today who are standing in the blood-bought freedom of the cross and the unsurpassing power of his resurrection, you've got to know that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Another version says how to rescue you. Can I say this? And I've been thinking about this. What, what is the way of escape? Man, I try to resist it. You want to know what the ultimate way of escape is? This is what it is. It's just the cross. It's the cross. What's this way of escape? It's not a little door that you find somewhere. It's the cross. The ultimate way of escape is the cross. Psalm 37 says, The steps of a good and righteous man are directed and established by the Lord, and he delights in his way and blesses his path. When he falls, when he falls, when he fails, he will not be hurled down because the Lord is the one who holds his hand and sustains him. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous, those in right standing with God, abandon or his descendants pleading for bread. The cross is the ultimate way of escape. When Jesus prayed, what we call the Lord's Prayer, really it was the disciples' prayer. He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He's like, pray like that. And the, the Spanish NIV translated into English, it says, do not let us fall into temptation. Or do not leave us to fall into temptation. Oh, his hand is not too short that it cannot save. New Living Translation, it says, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Let that be our prayer. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. The cross is the ultimate way of escape. Can I hear an amen? amen. For more, come for part four. Lord, we thank you today for the cross. We thank you that you've paid the price, the ultimate price, that we can be like Barabbas, that we can stand and be free, our punishment taken, our penalty paid. We can stand in right standing with you. We do stand in right standing with you. Not because of anything we have done, for we all fall short, but because of who you are and what you have done. 
And so today we thank you for the cross. Thank you, King Jesus. The ultimate way of escape. Or when we, we try to resist and we try to not bite the cheese and eat the bait or whichever way around that goes. But Lord, you have made a way where there seemed to be no way. And for that, we're thankful. For that, we say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a flippin' wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see I deserve nothing. But we come to you sinners with failings. But we also come as sons and daughters made right with God, royal priests, a holy nation, victorious, a people belonging to God, ones who can stand in Christ, even going, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me? But thanks be to God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is my great way of escape. And so in you, we live and move and have our being. Thank you, Jesus. Would you get up off your chairs for a moment and give them some praise in this place? Just, just come on. Hallelujah. Friend, if you're here and you haven't given your life to Christ, if you're lying, I, I want to know this freedom. And how do you do it? You say, Christ, come into my life. Change me. Turn my life around. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Give your life to Him and allow Him to be master of your life. Let Him be the King of your life. From this day forth, I, I promise you, your life will never be the same. Do that. Come to church. Learn what it is to walk in this way. And your life will never be the same. Is there anybody here whose life has been changed by Jesus? Come on, let me, let me see the hands. We're all on the journey. No one's perfect here, I can assure you. If you feel like the church is a bunch of hypocrites, there's always room for one more. Come on, somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. If you need prayer for anything in a moment, there will be prayer station open over here, and you can get them, Chris and Kay, to pray with them for you. Seasoned ministers who can pray with them for you. Let me bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.